0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Meradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us today for our last program of the year until we reconvene on January 5th, To review the most important events of 2023 that will shape the coming year are Dr. Rocket Ron Epstein of Bank of America Securities, Sash Tusa of the independent equity research firm, Agency Partners, and Richard Abolafi of the Aerodynamic Advisory Consultancy. Uh, Guys, uh, welcome back. Thanks for joining us Uh, and looking forward to uh, picking apart this year and figuring out what our audience should be paying attention to next year. Great to be here, Vargo. Yes, thanks so much, Olga. as always.
1: Great to be on, Vargo. Thank you.
0: Uh, an absolute pleasure, Ron. Start us off. What were the important stories uh, in our corner of the universe, whether they were big or small, that are going to be impacting uh, the coming year from your standpoint?
2: Yeah, I think I think one of the bigger ones was coming into this year. There was, you know, consensus expectations that we'd have a recession, and and we didn't. Um, I would also say this coming into this year, and still this is a bit lingering around, but less so. Um, you know, the the probability of a of a soft landing for the economy. Um, was seen as a small probability and you know the the market now is I think pricing more of that in uh we saw a real pivot uh, when uh Secretary Powell um gave his remarks just uh I uh, it was a week ago uh and really suggested that we're um in a easing environment and the market made a made have made a real turn on that um when you, when you look at the, the sector performance um year-to-date so we still have a little ways to go but unless something really dramatic happens in the next week, it's probably a pretty good indicator. Um, you know, the S&P is up almost 25% on the year. That's, that's a big move. Um, when you look across our our universe, some of the, the, the bigger movers, um, uh, one of the, the, the best performers actually was Embraer. Embraer, so far, year-to-date, is up over 70%. Um, and then um, some of the smaller names that have had corporate actions or things going on, you know, Triumph Group um, is up almost 60%. But when you when you look at a breakout between commercial and defense, commercial's largely done better. Um, right. you know, Boeing Boeing's up 37% year-to-date. But the defense names are, are lagging, right? You know, Lockheed is down 7% on the year. Northrop's down 15% on the year. Raytheon's down 17% on the year. And there's some company-specific stuff we've spoken about uh, on Raytheon. But it's not all bad news for defense you know uh, Leonardo DRS is up almost 50 percent on the year so there was you know company specific stuff there but broadly commercial did better defenses had you know had some headwinds um the the market itself I you know had a had a bumper year um so we'll, we'll see what what happens next year I mean one of the trends we have seen um and I'm not trying to play strategist here but I will just a little bit is you know there are names that don't do so well one year tend to do better the next year and right. now we're rolling into an election year. Defense stocks, as I've mentioned before, tend to do very well during election years uh, and they didn't do so well this year. So maybe the technical setup for defense stocks is pretty good for next year. Um, and then maybe another thing that, that'll, that'll come up um, on a more fundamental level is just, it's been a bumper year for orders, right? I mean, orders just right. coming out all over the place. Um, and, you know, clearly that's been good uh, for commercial error. So why don't I leave it there and, and it right. over to my colleagues?
0: Let me, let me... Uh... Follow, uh, let me follow up on that. So, um, just as we've uh, you've talked, in a, just give the audience uh, a brief explanation why you think that is right. Why is defense not doing well? I mean, we have surging uh, defense spending. Uh, you know, there's massive industrialization spending on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, you know, I mean, the Ukraine war has pumped an enormous amount of money into the U.S. defense industrial base, one way or another, because just about everything we're supplying there is made in the United States. Right? I mean, not to sound like uh, Antony Blinken or anybody else. I mean, what do you attribute? Sort of the down downbeat element of defense. I mean, we're looking at an eight hundred eighty six billion dollar uh, uh, National Defense Authorization Act with another, you know, one hundred and sixteen billion or so that's in the pipeline.
2: Yeah, right. So, I mean, if you put that that's together, and, and, if, and if if that supplemental NDAA or an indicator of what's going to happen in terms of appropriations, which they very well maybe you've, you're getting to that trillion dollar number we've talked about before, right? Right. So, it's a lot of money. um I think a, a couple of factors. One, the, the year-to-date performance target is arbitrary, right? So if you go back to one year ago, um, it's easy to forget, in 2022, the S&P was down 19%, and both Lockheed and Northrop were up 40%. So if you look on a two-year view, they're still doing quite well, right? And it's kind of back right. to that dynamic, what did well last year might not do so well this year. Uh, you know, some, you know, this year, maybe some rotation into some more economically sensitive stuff. And then there's, there has been, I think, some fear and consternation in the market about all the noise on the hill. Will we get a budget? Won't we get a budget? Are we going to support this? Won't we get a supplemental? Uh, 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 And a lot of that noise, but broadly, right? I mean, if, if, if we're right and you end up with, you know, call it hundred billion plus supplemental and, you know, call it 880 billion ish um, baseline budget uh, when appropriations are done, it's a pretty darn good setup for, for defense. Uh, but right. I think it's, you know, when you, when you go year to date, it, I mean, honestly, it is, it is kind of arbitrary. Um, one other thing I should mention, which is interesting. If you go to the beginning of the year, something we've been tracking all year, at the beginning of the year, the government 10-year yield was about 3.8%. Here we are at the end of the year, and the government yield is about 3.8%. You made a nice round trip up to five percent but we're kind of ending the year where we started which that might not be um you know in in everybody's minds and so on and so forth you might be thinking wow wouldn't it be much lower than that but no we're actually kind of starting the year ending the year where we started the year uh the vix index which we've been tracking you know all year long is down about 10 points it started the year at about 23 and we're ending the year 13. so you know that again that measurement of fear and loathing in the market and risk has come down a a bit. So you're seeing a market that's kind of has less fear priced into it, or at least expectations of less fear.
0: Uh, It's always good to have expectations of less fear, right? I mean, the market surged uh, recently in part because of the news that the Fed is going to start cutting uh, rates uh, repeatedly over the next couple of uh, years. Sash, uh, you have a correlation between orders uh, and reality. Uh, you know, walk, walk us through any of the stories from a European perspective because it's been very busy there as well in terms of industrialization in, in terms of spending, right? the 50 billion dollar euro, 50 billion euros uh, numbered by the EU may not have gone through, but there's an expectation it will go through next year. Uh, in terms of Ukraine aid? I mean, walk us through all of the dimensions of this, including on the commercial side that you uh, think are interesting trends that are going to shape the coming year.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, defense, first of all, you're absolutely right. I mean, industrialization is happening. I mean, companies are opening new production lines. They're opening new manufacturing facilities for armored vehicles, uh, new uh, facilities for building, you know, manufacturing gun barrels. These are all really fundamental uh, things. And, you know, I can probably count um, half a dozen of, of of any of those going on in Europe at the moment. Uh, so, uh, and that's unparalleled. I, you know, I can't remember that in uh, in my experience in in this sector. There is always a flywheel effect. Uh, you know, you get an announcement, then there's a sort of delay, and it takes time to sort of spool up production. But yeah, it's a uh, it, the industrialization is starting. I think the question for the outcome of of you know the Ukraine war next year is going to be The degree to which Europe can in any way compensate in terms of uh, economic and military aid for any shortfall uh, from from the US for for whatever reason. I think Europe is, there's beginning to be some very, very interesting op-eds in the more thoughtful uh, papers and journals going around, just pointing out that Europe has got to be prepared for, um, uh, you know, the second President Trump uh, presidency, and that by direct implication if that's the case europe is going to have to spend a ton more because the u.s very likely will not be and um th- you know that's feeding through to the political uh mindset and then to the sort of the political messaging in a fairly un- uneven way uh across the various countries but at least it's, it's starting to come through now i mean you can you know the paradox is i'm a bull therefore i'm a bear um you know this is not great right. for for mankind or indeed for taxpayers but it's actually very very positive for defence companies um and for you know arguably freedom in europe um that's that's my take anyway so um yeah i mean and i think we're going to see a, 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 you know a ton more of that next year uh, switching to civil the most interesting thing i think has happened this year has been airbus has had its best ever year for orders i mean you know rough count airbus will have notched up over 500 uh, orders in December. It'll be over 1,900 for the year. Um, The the previous best year for orders uh, back in 2013, when they uh, launched the um, A320neo family was uh, about sort of 1450 or thereabouts. So, I mean, actually, Airbus has had its best year for orders every single month since since, uh, June. Um, And, you know, 1900 orders is astonishing for a company that is going to be, you know, it will do somewhere over 700 deliveries this year. You know, books below over two. Here's the rub, though. Airbus shares actually haven't performed very well this year. Yeah, they're up. Um, but every single stock in the sector is up this year. So, you you, um, you know, I'm afraid you don't get any any rewards for that. Um, but Airbus shares are only up 26 percent. Um, the civil average. Uh, in Europe is 70%, even if we strip out Rolls-Royce, because Rolls-Royce uh, is up over 200% this year, even if we strip out Rolls-Royce, civil stocks are up at 40% this year. Uh, so Airbus has underperformed all of its uh, peers in the European aerospace sector. And I just had a, a thought about why. I mean, first of all, why are, why are airlines placing all these massive orders? It's FOMO, fear of missing out. You cannot afford, as an airline or a leasing company, not to be uh, You know, not to have orders for the second half of the decade just in case. I had to say, I think that's a really low quality reason to keep on placing enormous orders, but you know, I can understand why they do it. Uh, But, you know, most of these orders now are for delivery post 2028. Lufthansa were very clear last week that some of their orders are out to 2032. Um, So the Airbus share price isn't up because investors don't think Airbus can deliver out on those orders anytime soon. Uh, it's going to, you know, the, the the ramp isn't a ramp. It's more like a, um, uh, you know, a very very gentle curve early on, and hopefully gets better thereafter. But it, investors don't think, based on the share price, that they're going to make a great deal of money out of all of these orders. And this is the other thing that I think is really interesting. Is I think we're beginning to detect from investors that, an awareness that a lot of these orders are essentially conditional. They're sort of super options. Um, if you place an order for twenty, you know, out for 2030. 20, 20, 20, Actually, what you're saying is Airbus will take whatever aircraft you have on offer by then, Um, it's an option on whatever new aircraft Airbus orders but it probably isn't an aircraft for delivery in 28, 29, 30. Uh, So actually you know these orders are flakier than they look uh, because you know airlines just want to make sure they're somewhere in the queue and they have some capacity um, uh, built in just in case but uh, there's nothing, you know, nothing more solid than that. I think it's a really interesting situation to have, you know, there should be champagne all round at uh, to lose in Hamburg this year about the order intake, but actually, um, you know, the share price suggested it's not as good as that. Uh,
0: Richard, uh, you've been a very patient. What do you have on your mind? What jumped out at you this year that you think are going to be the big themes for next year?
1: Yeah, uh, there were four uh, areas that I think are worthy of explanation as as meta or mega or whatever themes for this year. One was, um, sorry, you can't have your thing now uh basically that gentle ramp that uh, (laughs) i talked about was true for just about everything i mean whether it's artillery shells or f-35 fighters and uh, every conceivable aircraft even business jets you'd think that would be a relatively simple ramp given the rampant undercapacity or rather under demand and overcapacity the industry has experienced over the last 15 years but no even that could not be moved up because of engine bottlenecks and whatever else um that was fascinating, you know. So we had one of the weakest recoveries ever, you know, just that very gradual. Well, the massive expansion of backlogs and the very slow expansion of deliveries. And I'll put a positive face on this. I think you know, historically, we've engineered our own uh, bus cycles by having, um, shall we say, over enthusiastic boom cycles in in so many different segments. So we could be in for a decade ahead. That's actually kind of a happy slow burn. Uh, where basically production constraints keep things relatively muted, uh, and that ultimately is good for a a durable, sustainable upturn. That's my my happy, believe it or not, optimistic prognosis. Um, The next thing to explore is a lot of the new generation aircraft programs really made progress, whether it was NGAD, FAXX, CCA, uh, GCAP, Maybe SCAF, maybe not, uh KF 21. Um even even India Tejas actually got a little bit more traction after 35 years of trying or something like that. So many new programs. Uh let's be comes, positive, Richard. You let's know, be just, positive here. Let's just
0: just just take that. Good for them.
1: <laughs> good good for them. They'll get there in another 35 years. Uh now it you know, there's there's a lot of money, but there's also you know, just a lot of prioritization of new generation programs because of the return of history and peer adversaries and whatever else. So I think we'll see more of the same in the next year. A lot of stuff's going to firm up. And uh, and that's certainly good. Um, you know, a few uh, a few things to be decided, like that whole scap thing. That's, that seems unwieldy, but everything else looks like it's going ahead. Uh, third, it was sort of the year without China. You know, I mean, people talk about decoupling, um, but China was not a market. Uh, right, you know, I mean, you look back for for many years, it was everyone's favorite growth story, uh, everyone's favorite new production source. Uh, but there was a sucking sound of work out of China, except for MRO, um, and uh, you know, foreign direct investment not only collapsed, it turned basically negative. Uh, and meanwhile, they, of course, did not really take very many jets at all. There was once a business jet market in China. That's a joke. Um, I mean. I'd like to think maybe there are signs of hope within the Chinese government that they're saying we can't do this alone. We can't Hmm. actually make that transition to a middle class economy without trade with the West. But, uh, you know, pure and simple, um, a strong growth story has been hijacked by a really bad set of people. Um, And that's that's but this was the first year that I, I think in a lot of ways the numbers began to really reflect that. You know uh, again hope to turn it around fourth the fourth thing is boeing surrendered uh you know getting back to sash um yeah it's, it's part of it yes there's fear of missing out absolutely uh, and part of it is speculation and, but that's always been the case you know as the saying goes if an airline makes money it orders planes if it keeps making money it takes delivery of those planes there isn't necessarily a connection uh, but this was the you year can for sure anyone
0: plan. Oh, sorry. Kingfisher,
1: anybody? You know, I, I think I think you still have one of their calendars from way back. Um, but this was the year that Dave Calhoun, who appears to be the, the best CEO that Airbus ever had, uh, told the world that they would not be doing anything to compete with the 321 Neo. And everyone said, but it's a terrible plane. It's it not very good at all, but it's the only thing in its class. So we have to have it. Damn. And they got in line for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the order book is the order book for the 321 Neo, as I'm fond of saying, is about the same size as the entire 737 Max order book, just for that one variant. That's extraordinary. Um so that, and of course, the decision to dismantle Boeing's strategy means that this is a company without a future. And meanwhile, Airbus is going to benefit mightily. Will their share price per sash start to reflect that one day? I, I don't know. I'll leave that to him. He's the he's the expert, but in terms of market share, in terms of uh, commercial activity, boy, they've asserted themselves as the uh, the 70% or 75% player in the industry. That's that's a remarkable turnaround.
0: Now, I want to pull on that uh, last string uh, in a moment, but a quick word from our sponsors. Bell sponsors, our daily podcast, HII sponsors, our global coverage, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors, our strategy coverage. Ultra intelligence and communications sponsors our command and control coverage and GE aerospace sponsors our air uh, and naval coverage. Um, You know, we have been talking on this program, uh, unfortunately, a lot about Boeing and its woes. It is an incredible company. It still makes great products. Uh, And the question is whether or not it stays competitive over the long term, right? I mean, we've said on this program that we fear that there is a McDonnell Douglas strategy underway. You got rid of corporate strategy, and then the units got rid of their strategy functions, right? That's that's it's not good for a major company to not have strategy functions anywhere, right? Even if this CEO is the most brilliant, uh, 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 and the executive management team is is the most brilliant in the business, and they've got some very uh, very strong managers uh, and leaders in the company. At what point, Ron, does the Pentagon have to start getting a little bit concerned about this? Right? I mean, if you look at what everybody else in the sector is doing, they are are, are regarded as at least right? I mean, they're all buying back shares at record numbers, but they're also doing some things that would not make you question the future of their enterprise the way that we're questioning it, right? You know, maybe we criticize because we love, but what is, you know, at what point does this become something the government ought to really be worried about from your perspective?
2: Good question. Um,
0: Well, I, I think it really
2: depends on how much industrial policy the government wants to overlay on boeing right i mean i guess on the defense side there's the national security aspect of it um you know from a balance of trade perspective globally boeing's our largest exporter but it's still a private company right so right. i mean can the government really step in and say hey you should be doing an airplane no they can't um so from a from a government perspective on the commercial side, I don't really know what they can do. Right. I mean, if, right, if the strategy is with the strategy is I mean, sort of an obvious statement, then the, there's not much they can do on, on the defense side, they can try to incent innovation in you know, various ways with, you know, carrots and sticks and programs and so on and so forth. But on the commercial side, there's not, and you know, if the current strategy doesn't work, that's not good for the country. Um, that's probably not good from a national security perspective, but it's ultimately a commercial decision. Um, right. One would hope um, that ultimately, because it's a very long cycle business, that if their current strategy to not work, then things change. Right. Um. You know. So I mean, it's. I think that's just the, the sad reality of it or just maybe not even sad just the reality of it that's just kind of how it all how it all works um maybe it opens an opportunity for other players and um, we've had conversations about you know, companies like you know jet jet zero doing what they're doing um right. but, but 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 we'll see so i mean i think again from a government perspective their hands are tied on the commercial side
0: right i mean so if they decide to become uncompetitive I mean you know what I mean it's the, they're 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 going to do that uh, unfortunately well I
2: mean as a as an analog if you look at the the US automotive industry it was uncompetitive for a very long time
0: it right. got it
2: back there was government help I mean the government wasn't not involved in that but right. the government became involved in periods of great stress right and so um yeah I mean if they it, it, you know so I, I mean I don't want to say they will be uncompetitive right i mean right there's tea leaves that say they could be right you know and um, we've had discussions saying they could be but if they say that really happens um then that's just a, kind of a tragedy of history um right. I, I hope it doesn't happen um you know it's late is better than never so so we'll see what happens but you know if they become uncompetitive and that's just sort of how it goes
0: um and then you know plays into richard's model right i mean you know make make it such that you could actually get away and antitrust uh limitations that might exist get waived in order to be able to uh create uh new uh entities Um, sash and richard if you want to take a quick bite at this and then i want to go to sort of the business change stories uh of the year as well uh, because you know we, we you know and and how Needles are moving, needles, whether they're in space or in unmanned systems or, or elsewhere, uh, but want to give both of you a chance to take a bite at that apple. And I suppose in your case, Richard, you know, like, like finish,
3: finish eating that apple. Go ahead, uh, Sash. Uh, look, I mean, I realize I come across like a pinko European, but um, uh, ultimately, it, governments have to have industrial policy if they want to have the industry that they want. Um, some countries, some regions are way better at it than others. Civil aerospace is not an industry that new entrants can easily enter um, or and, you know, survive in. Look at Bombardier. Frankly, you know, I mean, Embraer is hanging on in there, despite the fact that it has fabulous products, even better engineers, uh, and incredibly good, low costs. Uh, it's a really tough industry to, uh, uh, to stay in. So... Um, if, you, you know, if governments decide that, you know, because this is somehow free markets, you know, private sector. And by the way, I, I just don't believe that civil aerospace is private sector because all of the most successful competitors have come out of uh, have come out of the state sector and will continue to do so because other states think this matters. Look at China um, because, you know, they're the ones who, who will be building up in the next decade decade and a half two decades what well, you know, i mean, richard and i will disagree on how fast china makes it but very hard to think china will uh will not succeed in 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 volume terms at some say so you know you, you you know as a government if you don't have a, an industrial strategy you don't have a uh, and a you know clear policy you won't have that industry uh over time uh i, I you know that's i'm you know very very clear about that
1: richard yeah, so much to discuss. Again, uh, I don't want to eat the whole apple, but uh, there's a couple of very big factors. First of all, you know, yes, it's hard to think we wouldn't do industrial policy. On the other hand, we don't. This is the only country that let its de facto flag carrier exit the business. Pan Am, of course. Um, yeah, next, yeah, right. That- I mean,
0: next year we are going to see an industrial strategy come out of the Pentagon. With a, cl- a highly classified annex, right? So it, we're, I think, trying to wrap our arms around it. But, but uh, taken, right? We we did let Pan Am go out of business, and everybody yawned. And now we buy Pan Am branded
1: sh- swag. And I appreciate that Pan Am branded bag you got me years ago. I love it. But uh, the <laughs> the thing is that there's also a bit of a disconnect between. Um, what can and and, and should be done. There might be an industrial policy, uh, secret or not. Um, Might that just involve throwing money at them for, you know, wedge tails and uh, maybe a CX program for a strategic transport and hope that somehow they decided of the goodness of their heart to spend some money on keeping alive their combat aircraft or reconstituting their combat aircraft development capabilities? You know, uh, that doesn't sound terribly realistic. Now, the problem here is that um if they do decide to sell off, that's a completely different industrial policy other than giving them the necessary mm-hmm. resources. Uh And here again, it's, it gets extremely political. You know, if it's the second Biden administration, it won't be allowed. If it's Trump, uh, they might just permit it. And maybe that's indeed what Boeing management is banking on, a second Trump administration, which says, all right, do whatever the heck you want. And uh, we and they decide to sell off bits and pieces and maybe create Boeing Commercial as Romanco and and again one rationale, as you say, would be to make performance so or competitiveness so awful that it comes as a relief when they make that announcement
0: it would be interesting certainly how the administrations might look at it right uh, you know one from a restrictive we're trying to create more competition which has been uh, the byword and the other one to just say okay well yeah go ahead and, end, uh, and 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 do that for a whole variety of uh reasons political and otherwise it would be it would be interesting uh you know although i'm not sure, but it it could be strategy right it 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 could still be strategy um even if you might want to consider that to be somewhat um, misguided uh strategy or, or risky uh strategy um what, what are the companies, you know, we, we've been talking about uh, change in this industry for uh, some time, right? I mean, the need to invest more money, uh, be more responsive, bring products to the company, make some more internal investment. That's one of the reasons why the andurals of the world uh, have grown, why Rocket Lab has grown, why SpaceX uh, has grown. There's an interesting space story um, that you kind of don't know, you do what to know, what to make of it, but you sort of don't, uh, right? Uh, SpaceX was created and took an enormous amount of business away from United Launch Alliance by Boeing and Lockheed Martin. Uh, ULA fought it tooth and nail, fought Tesla, uh, excuse me, SpaceX tooth and nail. Uh, the NASA under the Bush administration took that risk uh, and eventually so did the Air Force and was rewarded by lower uh, launch uh, and a company that is now produced uh, the world's most powerful launch vehicle by a, a, an order of magnitude. And now the Wall Street Journal reporting There are a number of companies and entities that are interested in uh, ULA, whether it's Cerberus Capital, whether it's uh, Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos' company, uh, and even Textron mentioned in that, obviously, the parent company of of Bell, our sponsor. Um, Ron, what were the interesting sort of business transformation stories? By the way, I would also add, right, Huntington Ingalls' mission uh, technologies business, uh, right, I mean, in the last two years has grown to be, you know, $5 billion in, in revenue in 23 that's now equal equal to Ingalls shipbuilding, right? Uh, obviously, HII is, is one of our sponsors, but, you know, based on what the company tells me, they're doing that profitably, right? So we are seeing a lot of business transformation, even by heritage names uh, here. Ron, what were sort of the interesting business transformation stories for you over the course of this year? And and ones you think that are going to be the ones to watch going into next year?
2: A lot of it, I think, was happening in in the supply chain um probably most notably was spirit Aerosystems Uh, you had a, a big change in management there um that you know with Pat Shanahan coming in Pat bringing in some Boeing alumni so you have a lot of Boeing people at spirit now um turning that business around presumably right um and um they negotiated a deal with Boeing uh, they still have to negotiate a deal with Airbus we'll see how that goes uh, but <clears throat> spirit was is probably one of the the bigger um business change stories uh, in the sector for the year um more lately uh we've seen uh some stuff going on at, at L3 Harris um a you know a, an official review of the business going on that's going to conclude at the end of 24 the addition of some board members so some you know, focus there um at the top of uh RTX uh a change in CEO announced you know Chris Calio coming in uh and Greg Hayes you know, remaining chairman for a while so at, at the top we've seen some changes Boeing right Stephanie Pope becoming COO uh that was um, uh, a new role created right presumably she's on on track to become CEO uh so a a lot of a lot of changes a lot of changes on top I would say too um this was a a tough year for some of the the startup companies that became public through through SPACs um notably some of the space names we saw uh, Virgin Orbit um just disappear Uh, and then some of the other space backs have had, had a rough time uh, you know, the, the market's appetite for some of the um, early stage, in some cases, pre-revenue, most certainly pre-cash flow um, generative companies, uh, the market got, uh, I think, you know, less, less patience for, for that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, it was a year that particularly the, the fourth quarter had, had a lot of management change at the top, um, turnaround, presumably, hopefully. At a, at a key piece of uh, the commercial aerospace supply chain. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was the biggest stuff for me.
0: Uh, Sash, from a European perspective, what are the change stories? I mean, obviously, Ryan Metal would have to be uh, one of those change stories. I suppose you could even say, you know, to an extent, you know, Hanwha could be one of those change stories, uh, also from its uh, ability uh, to land a lot of Polish orders. But what were some of the other themes and stories that you saw that, that shows uh, how the industrial base and companies are growing and companies are changing
3: in their market focus. The, the company that I'm most interested in and so literally, I genuinely don't know whether this is going to work or not is Leonardo. Leonardo got a new chief executive um, this, way, uh, this year, Roberto Cingolani. Um, previously uh, industry minister, uh, minister in the Italian um, government, had a background as an academic, he has very different ideas of where he wants to uh, take Leonardo, to where his predecessor uh, Alessandro Profumo uh, did. But you know, if you look at uh, um, uh you know, ideas for um, uh, the company, I, you know, he's got this now very, very valuable stake in uh, uh, Leonardo DRS, having done the the, the spin and indeed a partial uh, sell down uh, this year. Is that a business that? they are going to retain a uh, controlling stake in, or are they going to monetize that? Um, Historically, European aerospace companies or aerospace defense companies have have killed to get into the US market, because it's incredibly hard to do, really hard to get past uh, all the various regulatory and uh, security uh, aspects. And once you're in it, hopefully you do very well. So it's it's quite unusual to see a company sell down a US defense uh, subsidiary like this. But then, Uh, you know, uh, Leonardo's uh, previous CEO bought a stake in Hensoltz. They're now not taking up a shareholding in that, but they've just announced a, uh, you know, sort of strategic relationship with Krauss, Maffei, Wegmann, Nexter, uh, and also are trying to get bigger in space via the space alliance with Thales. So it seems to me that Leonardo has, you know, fingers in a lot of pies at the moment. It's not entirely clear, you know, when they sort of, you know, pull their hands back, which pies they're going to keep, exposed to, is the focus going to be, for example, European government institutional space, or is it going to be defence land systems, uh, or is it going to be, you know, becoming a sort of uh, consolidator of European defence electronics? It's it's not impossible that it will, the company will try to do two or more of those, but it's, it's a company that is more in flux, but is also seen as being a very attractive partner by companies outside Italy. So, you know, they're clearly doing a lot of things, very, very right indeed. Um, but it's just not obvious yet where the where the main effort is going to be
0: interesting um Richard, what were the transformation stories from your perspective that you found most interesting
1: this year? well um you know, First and foremost, let's start with, as you would say, one of the sponsors of the program, you know, Tektron, you know, I mean, Bell was obviously headed towards oblivion, but they did not win far and they won far. So <laughs> that's a, a significant event uh, in and of itself. Uh, another trend I would I would watch is, again, the firming up of combat aircraft programs worldwide, Mitsubishi and BAE systems. That's really fascinating. Um, that's, you know, that could elevate them towards, you know, closer up, closer towards uh, actual you know, it, sovereign fighter producers, uh, as opposed to, you know, risk sharing partners or, or co-producers or whatever else. That's certainly interesting. And, yeah, as you mentioned Hanwha, certainly KAI, other countries and companies that are moving towards having an indigenous combat aircraft industry. That's certainly worth watching. Um, it's more Sa- uh, Sasha's territory, but Rolls-Royce has been really interesting. Uh, they survived. Good for them. Um, they sacrificed an awful lot of their future looking capabilities that's not at all good uh, they won key defense programs b52 re engineing and b280 that will keep them at least alive again and of course meanwhile a350 xwb shop visits look poised to ramp up so they're staying in the business but are they truly going to be a major player in new uh, engine development maybe less so although i would point out that the British government seems to be leveraging Rolls-Royce's status as the only really good producer of combat aircraft engines in all of Europe. No offense to Safran, but it, they're good enough. But Rolls-Royce is really the one. Um, you know, they're leveraging that as part of the the, the Tempest GCAP program. That's certainly right. uh, in, impressive. So I think there are a bunch of changes at Rolls-Royce. Not all of them good, not all of them bad.
0: And a quick reminder for our audience to check out our award winning weekly podcasts, Cavus Ships, hosted by Chris Cavus and Chris Cervillo, and sponsored by HII and GE Marine, a GE aerospace company who clear the fog on naval and maritime matters, The Downlink with Laura Winter, who takes a thoughtful look at all things space, and our Air Power podcast, sponsored by GE Aerospace, that I co host with our own JJ uh, Gertler and And uh, go back and check out our Friday show instead of our normal Washington roundtable, which we have uh, on Wednesday. Uh, We have the entire Defense and Aerospace Report gang uh, aboard uh, to look at what we thought were the biggest and most interesting uh, stories of the year. Something we'll be doing a little bit more of together as a team uh, going into the new year. Uh, Just as we get ready to wrap up uh, this year end show, I wanted to go around the horn and sort of ask each of you guys like what the you know, really quickly. Uh, because we have a couple of minutes left, what the most surprising stories for you guys over the course of this last year were? Right, what were the stories that you guys looked at and you said, "Wow, didn't see that coming," uh, or "Wow, that was a slow running train wreck," and we saw we saw that happen anyway. Anyway, or, or or just really interesting story that jumped out that wasn't necessarily big that everybody noticed, but you guys noted and said, "Wow, that's that's interesting." ron why don't you start us off and we'll go through the line and end with richard
2: yeah i think probably the most interesting thing for me this year was um the emergence of um jet zero and the blended wing platform and uh, what they're doing with the air force and Northrop. if you if you think about the future of aviation and you really want to make a dent in sustainability or also um, you know performance in terms of having a tanker that can really do something in the Pacific um you know that the blended wing platform in some ways it really does seem like it's time has come um right. you know so uh and yeah you know, in the beginning of the year um I wasn't as, as versed on that and and you know just kind of thinking back on the year and that was a bit of a, a wow moment for me, and and, and also the, the support that they're getting from the Air Force seems like, it, you know, at least on some level, it's gotten on their radar too.
0: I I would agree with you. That was that was really tectonic, where you put a, a small innovative company and you pair them with the industrial muscle that a Northrop Grumman could bring, uh, and then right they're supposed to share this data with everybody. But then you can't help but wonder whether or not Northrop, you know, might be a future large uh aircraft maker commercial aircraft maker as opposed to just uh bombers and celebrating obviously the b-21 raider uh first flight just just recently sash from a uh, european perspective or a transatlantic perspective or a global perspective you can you can take that uh take that any way you want
3: Uh, um you you mentioned um hanwell the koreans earlier on i think this was the year that korea won a ton of orders poland uh, clearly, but actually, also Australia uh, Land 400 Phase Three for infantry fighting vehicles—an incredibly hard fought uh, competition against uh, Rheinmetall—and um, th- you know uh, Hanra is going to be the the producer of infantry fighting vehicles uh, for that mm-hmm. country. I, you know, I think uh, Korea's success in orders in 2023 has been absolutely remarkable. Um, Two caveats: that one, they've now got to deliver, and. Um, you know, Australia is a notoriously difficult uh, customer to deal with. They're very, very demanding, have extremely uh, high standards in terms of uh, expecting to receive the, off- you know, the uh, industrial offset and so forth that they've uh, negotiated. So, um, you know, I'm always uh, interested to see how contracts in Australia work. Um, but the other thing I'm going to be looking at now is, does this make... Uh, Korea a credible exporter of other products. The the next big com- competition is probably the Canadian submarine competition um, to replace the former uh, British upholders. Uh, is it possible that Korea will will successfully bid for that? Or is that just a step too far, as it was for the Japanese uh, in the original Austra- uh, Australian submarine competition?
1: Richard? Yeah, I've never, ever resented going third in these sorts of things, but this is the first time I'm going to, because those, <laughs> those are... <laughs> those are two perfect choices that my colleagues have made. So, I'm afraid I'm left with slim, slim picking. So, if you don't, you don't mind, I think I'm just going to offer some some commentary and elaboration. Um, please, it, please, with, uh, you know, sort of. This is also comments. Festivus, by the way, right? But this it, is it, Festivus. It, it could be the airing of grievances and <laughs> yeah, <or the> feats <laughs> of strength. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, with those grievances out of the way, um first of all, yeah, Jet Zero, totally. You know, I remember. Kevin Michaels and I, at, uh, my, my co-partner at uh, at and Ebicks, just looking at this thing and saying, we want to go there, and finding ourselves in a strip mall back earlier this year, thinking, okay, this is super cool, and uh, enjoying it immensely. It, it it did seem like one of those from left field, wow, something new that we like, especially me, I'm the cynic. But I would also add, Ron exactly right about North grumman but i would add rtx's presence there collins and pratt and whitney on engines and they were they were out in full force both uh you know both in the news and also in uh in at the air force announcement I, i find this fascinating you know because of course they've got you know they're not too different in size from boeing they could be a very key feature in making uh this happen on on many different levels unfortunately rtx was also in the news uh one of the big changes the massive stumbles over gtf it's painful to say because i think all of us respected the technology the investment they made a decade or so ago Uh, so watching them stumble as badly as they did this year was uh, was an unpleasant change uh, at best the other comment i'd make on on sash's point about korea yeah dead on of course um as a side commentary on that one thing we saw was the complete collapse of Russia as a military exporter. Uh, you saw that in the Cypri numbers. You'll see it even more this year. That doesn't get better for so many reasons. Even the Indians, who were completely dependent upon Russia, are saying, oh, my dear God, we have clearly hitched our wagon to a dying horse. Uh, so could Korea be one of the biggest recipients of the sea change in the combat aircraft uh, or the combat weapons of all sorts export market and uh, the answer is per sesh, absolutely it's quite possible so those are my uh, big changes great
0: choice uh on on uh on that and all uh guys thanks very much uh really appreciate it we couldn't do this without uh you guys uh, and your insights uh every week and your friendship which i appreciate very much and i know that the uh, audience appreciates your insights uh, as well hope you all have uh great holidays uh, and a very uh, happy, healthy and prosperous 2024. Uh, and we look forward to continuing the partnership uh, when we restart. Thanks so very much again.
2: Always a pleasure, Vago. It's been a great year and looking forward to, to another one next year.
3: Yes. Thank, thank you very much indeed, Vago, and a very happy new year to everyone.
1: Absolutely. All the best to everyone. And, and Vago, thanks for uh, 50 or so memorable podcasts. And here's to the next 50 next year.
3: Indeed. Thank you.
0: Happy holidays. Happy New Year uh, to all of you guys and to our audience. Thanks so very much for uh, tuning in over the course of uh, the year. And we wish you happy holidays and a happy new year as well. Uh, Thanks for your time and your confidence this year. And look forward uh, to reconvening again uh, next year on January the 5th of the Washington Roundtable and January the 7th uh, for the Business Roundtable. And then we get into regular order uh, January 8th and uh, beyond. And a special thanks to Bell, the sponsor of this program, and all of our sponsors for their generous support uh, that makes this and our daily programs uh, possible. Uh, we wish everybody happy holidays, uh, and we'll see you again soon.